Well, at least one of them is. Amen. All right, come on, line up right here. Okay, do y'all know what this is? Uh, what? It's a rope. Give him a hand. <laughs> got, he got it right. We didn't even practice this. Amen. It's a rope. Now, I want you to think for a moment. I don't want you to be influenced by what somebody else says, okay? So I want you to take a moment think. The first thing that, that pops in your mind when you see a rope, I want you to click that in. What's the first thing that popped in your mind? I'm going to ask you, okay? What's the first thing that popped in your mind when you, when you saw this rope? A cow. <laughs> Go sit down. Rope and a cow. She's from, no, you can come back up. She, <laughs> can you tell the one that was from Texas? A cow, partner. Load them up or roll them out. All right, what gave in your mouth the first thing? A what? A knot. A what? A knot. A knot. Say it in English this time. What? A knot, okay. A knot. All right, now what? Furniture. Of everybody that I could have got in this whole place, I got the weirdest people in this bunch. What was the first thing that you thought of? Tie up something and bind it. Tie up something and bind it. All right, so we had a cow, a knot, furniture, and tie up something so they can't get away. So can't get away. Okay. All right, thank you. Give them a hand. Amen. Now, how, I want to ask you, before we go into the sermon this morning, how many of you that the first thing you thought of when you saw the rope was to tie something up? Raise your hand. Come on. How many of you thought of that? All right. Crystal thought of tying a cow up. It was very moving. What she had to say. <laughs> and that's no bull. But listen. And, and Gilbert thought of a knot, which is what you use when you tie something up. You did good, Gilbert. Yours was the best. Bless, bless his heart. Chris thought of furniture. I'm assuming that he meant to tie furniture down so that it won't. He's in the furniture business. And, and then Wayne thought of tying something down. Did anybody, did anybody think of a rope being used to pull something up or out? Oh, y'all just said that because I said that. Y'all didn't think of that. Well, we're going to talk about that now. Let, uh, this morning, let's read this scripture, and then we'll get on into the message, okay? Jeremiah 38, 6, and through verse 13. Jeremiah chapter 38, verses 6, and through verse 13. So they took Jeremiah and cast him into the dungeon of Malachi, the king's son, which was in the court of the prison, and they let Jeremiah down with ropes, and in the dungeon there was no water but mire, so Jeremiah sank in the mire. Now, Ebed Melech, the Ethiopian, one of the eunuchs who was in the king's house, heard that they had put Jeremiah in the dungeon. And when the king was sitting in the gate of Bethlehem, 
or a gate of Benjamin rather, uh, Abed-Melech went out to, out to the king's house and spoke to the king saying, My lord the king, these men have done evil in all that they have done to Jeremiah the prophet, whom they have cast into the dungeon, and he is likely to die from hunger in the place where he is, for there is no more bread in the city. Then the king commanded Abed-Melech, the Ethiopian, saying, Take from here thirty men with you, and lift Jeremiah the prophet up out of the dungeon before he dies. So Abed-Melech took the men with him and went into the house of the king under the treasury, took from their old clothes and old rags, and he let them down by ropes into the dungeon of Jeremiah. Then Abed-Melech, the Ethiopian, said to Jeremiah, Please put these old clothes and rags under your armpits, under the ropes. And Jeremiah did so. So they pulled Jeremiah up with ropes and lifted him out of the dungeon, and Jeremiah remained in the court of the prison. Is there anybody here old enough to remember a product in the 70s called Soap on a Rope? Anybody remember Soap on a Rope? Well, I want to preach to you today. I thought this was clever. Hope on a Rope. Hope on a Rope. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, we're praying that we would experience the power and the presence of, of your Son, Jesus, the living Word, in and through the written Word today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. It's pretty interesting, isn't it, that the great, I guess, 99, 98% of people in here, when they saw a rope, thought of it in terms of binding something up. There were a few individuals, if they were being honest, thought about using it to help and not to hinder. There are a few people that thought about it not as something to bind, but something to bless. There were people that did not think of it and look at something that would cause restraint, but something that would cause rescue. It all depends really on who's holding the rope, doesn't it? The rope's kind of like a firearm. It can be used, a firearm can be used, a rifle can be used to go out and, uh, you know, kill a deer to feed your family, or it can be used to take someone's life. It all depends on who's holding it. And that's the way a rope is. It really depends on whose hands it is. Now, it is true that ropes can be used to bind, and there's a lot of things in Scripture that talks about those ropes in Scripture that will bind us. How many knows with me that sin binds. In fact, in Isaiah 5, 18, Isaiah said, look at those people. They pull their guilt and their sins behind them like people pull wagons with ropes. And the idea here was initially that they begin to pull those sinful things to themselves. That they, in other words, their lust, their desires, their hunger, their thirst, they're longing for things that are wrong and sinful. They begin to pull that to themselves like somebody would pull a cart. But how many knows that it, it doesn't take very long for the thing that you are pulling, that uh, you can uh, pull those to you because you want them, but then everywhere that you go and everywhere you try to go, well, you're hooked, aren't you? Isn't that interesting that we use that terminology when we talk about somebody who has a problem with, with drugs? We say they're hooked on drugs. In fact, those things that you wanted to make life better, more enjoyable, before long they become 
a drag, don't you? Don't you? You're hooked to it. And so people pull around their guilt and their sins like an animal would pull a cart hooked to it with a rope. There's so many things about sin that can bind us. You remember that Samson was bound by his own countrymen. And then when Samson, you know, started messing around with Delilah, he had a little fun with her. How, you know, how can I take your strength, she asked him. And one of the things he said, well, if you'd, if you'd bind me with new ropes. And I found out that Satan, he has a lot of new ropes. He won't, if he can't get you with one thing, he'll try to get you with the other thing. But I also remember that in both of those occasions that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Samson and that he was able, with his countrymen bound him, the Bible says they became like burnt flax. They were just able to just fall off of him. Aren't you glad that through the power of the Holy Spirit that the things that have us bound, the lustful desires, the sinful activities that have us bound, that through the power of the Holy Ghost, God can break those things and set us free. Now there's a lot of things. I, I, I start talking with individuals that have some struggles that I've never had. I've talked with people that have been down some roads that I've never been down. I've talked to people that have had addictions that I've never had. But let me tell you, that does not mean that I don't know what it's like to be bound by sin, to be bound by lust, to be bound by sinful activity. But I'm here to tell you, by the grace of God, I know also what it means for the Spirit of God to come upon me and break those things that have me bound and then fall at my feet and me walk out like Lazarus when he walked out of the tomb and Jesus said, loose him and let him go. I know what it is for Jesus to say, loose him and let him go. How many glad that you're unbound, fetter free because of the grace of Almighty God. Amen. But it's not only sin that binds, is it? Religion also binds. Have you ever known anybody that was bound up by religion? Have you ever known anybody that was going to heaven but they wasn't real happy about it? You ever known anybody that preached against sin like they were just aggravated that they didn't get to do it? <laughs> religion will bind you up. I, I love this little story. I didn't I come up with this. Somebody else did. But I, I've always loved it because it's, it's such an apt picture of what religion looks like. In Greek mythology, you have Homer wrote the, the Odyssey, and, and he talked about, uh, some call him Ulysses, some call him Odysseus, but, but Odysseus is, is sailing along, and he wants to sail uh, by the island where the sirens live, and those were, those were kind of uh, female bird-like creatures that supposedly lived on this island, but they sang a haunting song and sailors would, would hear that haunting song, and according to some sources, they'd fall asleep, and the sirens would come on board and kill them, or some say they'd wreck their ships into the island because they wanted to hear that song. But Odysseus wanted to hear that song, but he, he knew that, that, that it, he would be pulled in, sucked in, so he had all of his, uh, all of his sailors, he poured beeswax in all the ears so they couldn't hear the song. And then he had them strap him down, tie him to the mast of the ship. And he said, no matter how I motion to you, don't set me free. And so they sailed along by the island of the Sirens. Some say that the sailors not only had wax in their ears, 
but that they also hollered and screamed so they couldn't hear the siren song. And there was Onesius strapped down, and he could hear it, but he was bound to where he can't do it. And for some people, that's what salvation looks like. They say, I don't want to get involved in the things of the world. I don't want to get involved in the things of sin. So if I can tie myself up with enough uh, rules and regulations, I can bind myself up with, with a, enough uh, uh, religious activity, then I won't, I won't be so tempted by the siren song of, of sin. And so we go along just a noisy people. Here's the thing about putting ear, uh, beeswax in your ears not to hear the devil. When you got beeswax in your ears, not only can you not hear from the devil, you can't hear from God either. When you go through life with your fingers in your ears, your eyes closed, screaming at the top of your lungs, trying to resist sin, that is not freedom. That's bondage. When you're strapped down by religion, listen, the devil doesn't care if the rope that he uses to bind you is, is made uh, out of hemp or made out of leather or made out of satin or made out of gold. He doesn't care what the bondage is made out of as long as he has you bound. And I've known a lot of religious people, they might not commit sin, but they didn't have a whole lot of, of uh, joy in their journey. They didn't have a whole lot of love. They didn't have a whole lot of life. I don't have time to talk about it, but there is a different story about that. Jason and his Argonauts also sailed by the island of the Cyrenes, but they had a different thought. They had a man on board named Orpheus, and Orpheus began to play his lute and began to sing a beautiful song, and they were so entranced by Orpheus's, Orpheus's song that they didn't even hear the siren song. And if you can get so in tune to the song of the Spirit, to the love song that Jesus is singing to us, you don't even pay attention to the siren songs of the world because you're entranced and, and your mind is so consumed with the things of God. So rope can be used to do a lot of things. It can bind somebody up. But I remember the Hebrew children, they were bound, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they were thrown in the fiery furnace. But the king looked and he said, didn't we throw three in there bound? He said, but I see four that are in there and they're loose and they're walking around and the fourth one looks like the son of God. You know something that's interesting in that scripture to me? They were still in the fire, but they were no longer bound. And I can tell you that sometimes you're still going to go through problems and go through circumstances but you don't have to go through them bound. You don't have to go through them. The power of the Holy Spirit, the fire of God, will break the bondages of sin. So ropes can be used to bind things up. But this story that we read in Jeremiah is not about bondage. It's not about restraint. It's about rescue. King Zedekiah had been appointed king over Judah by Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And... Uh, King Zedekiah and his officials, the Bible says, would not listen to the words of Jeremiah, would not heed the words of Jeremiah, but they did send word to Jeremiah, we want you to pray for us. Isn't that just the way a lot of people are? They don't want to live by God's word, but when they get in trouble, they want somebody that does to pray for them, right? I don't believe in it good enough to live, but I believe in it good enough for you to pray for me. And so... They had made, Judah had made an alliance with Egypt 
and Egypt had come to fight against the armies of Babylon to rescue Jerusalem. And the armies of Babylon withdrew from Jerusalem and went to fight the people of Egypt. And everybody in town thought, man, we're free. We're free from under the Babylonian captivity. But the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah, and Jeremiah said, they'll be back. The Lord said, they're going to be back. He said, even if you defeated the whole Babylonian army, and they had their, their uh, wounded convalescing in tents, the wounded would stumble out of the tent and still overthrow Jerusalem, still defeat the king, still burn it to the ground. And they didn't like that. And one day, uh, as uh, the Babylonian armies were starting to surround Jerusalem again, Jeremiah was leaving town, and when he did, there was one of the sentries that said, I know what you're doing. Stop. You're defecting to the enemy. You're going over to join the Babylonians. And Jeremiah said, no, I'm not. But they took him, and they bound him, and they put him uh, in the basement of Jonathan's house that had become a prison. And later on, the king called for Jeremiah, and he called Jeremiah and said, do you have a recent word from the Lord to us? It was almost, I think, an invitation to say, have you changed your tune? And Jeremiah said, yeah, I got a word from the Lord. You're going to be defeated by Babylon. His word did not change. So the king commanded that he be put in the prison in the palace and be given a loaf of bread every day. Now that wasn't punishment. That was actually of concern for Jeremiah because they were in the midst of a siege and bread was scarce. And he said, as long as there's bread in the city, can feed, continue to feed Jeremiah. But then the king's advisors came and they said, Listen, this man's a traitor. He doesn't deserve to live. In fact, his message that we're going to be defeated, if that word gets out, it's going to ruin the morale of our armies. Let us have him, and we'll take care of him. And here's what Zedekiah said. Boy, talk about a weak leader. He said, well, just do whatever you want to, to him. I can't stop you. And so they took him, and they took him to one of the the, the king's household, king's family members home and they took him to, the, to a, a cistern which was this big hole in the earth to hold water but there was no water in it there was just a mire, just mud slime down at the bottom of it and they threw him down there they lowered him down by ropes and, and put him there and they didn't feed him he was starving and he was stuck in the mud until a man who was an Ethiopian he wasn't even from Judah he was a stranger. He was a foreigner. But that Ethiopian who was a eunuch, and he was part of the king's household, that Ethiopian named Ebed-Melech, which means the servant of the king, heard about Jeremiah, and he went to the king, and he said, what these men have done is evil. And if we don't do something, Jeremiah is going to starve to death. He said, let me go and rescue Jeremiah, I wonder if we have family members and loved ones that are in prison, that are stuck in the mud, that cannot help themselves, that are starving for the bread of life, and that if we as servants of the king, that's what his name meant, servant of the king, that we as servants of the king, do we go to the king and say, oh, oh king, 
give me the resources to go and pull them out. I can tell you that God got children within earshot of this place this morning that are stuck in the mud, that are starving to death, and we as the servants of the king ought to say, God, give me a rope so I can go and pull them out. And that's what Ebed-Melech did. He took 30 men and went and got some old clothes so that he could put those under his arms so that he wouldn't get rope burned, and they lowered him down, and they took those ropes, and they pulled him out. Boy, what a, what a message for us today to use the resources that God has given us to pull somebody out. A few years ago in the Alps, there was a group of scientists and botanists that were looking for new species of flowers. And down in a crevice, down in the mountains, they found this beautiful flower that no, none of them had ever seen anything like it before. It was an undiscovered species to their mind. And they had a little servant boy there with them, and they said, We've got to find somebody who's small enough that can go down and be lowered down into that crevice to pick that flower. And the young man, they were all looking at him. He kind of looked around like, who, me? And he said, wait just a second. And he ran back to the village. And he, it took him an hour or two to get back up. And he had an older, gray-haired gentleman with him. He said, I will go down in the crevice if he holds the rope. They said, well, who is that? He said, that's my father. <laughs> that's my daddy. And if daddy's holding the rope, I'll go down into the crevice. Let me tell you something. There are some crevices that God is calling us to. But don't you worry. If you'll go, he'll hold the rope and he will not drop you. How many believes that? Say amen. How important it is in life to have somebody, someone that can hold the rope for you. You remember Rahab the harlot, whenever the spies were in her house, she used a rope to let them down uh, out of the wall so they wouldn't be discovered. You remember that the apostle Paul, after he had be gotten to become a Christian, that the Jews wanted to kill him and somebody lowered him down over a wall in a basket. You know, sometimes it takes more strength to let somebody down than it does to pull them up. You know that? It takes more restraint. Sometimes it's not just that we pull people up. Sometimes we've got to be reasonable with people and tell them about the circumstances of life. Sometimes we even have to use that rope to let them down or to pull them up. But it all depends on who is holding the rope. And I'm so glad to know that God holds my rope. Listen, in the Old Testament, there's a word for hope that is called tikva. P-I-Q-V-A-H is the way we'd spell it in English. Tikva, and it means a cord. It's a word that means a rope, a cord. And it's one of the Hebrew words for hope. Jeremiah 31, 17, it's used there that, where he says, There is hope in your future, says the Lord. The future is not as dull, is not as dim, is not as dark as it looks. There's hope in your future. In fact, he said, in your future, your children are going to come back home. I wonder if there's anybody here today that's got lost children that are out in sin that you're believing God and hoping that they're going to come back home. And here's what he said. That word hope is cord. In other words, 
I believe that the future is going to be better and brighter, and I'm holding on to it. In fact, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the words for hope carry with them the meaning not of only a wish, but of a confident expectation. So Jeremiah 29, 11, where he said, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of good or thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. That word expected is that same word, tekva, that's for hope, accord. In other words, I know that things are going to be better. God's out for me. God's with me. God's got plans for me, and I'm holding on to it. Psalm 62 and 5, my soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation is from him. I'm just waiting on God, and I'm holding on to the rope. Job 6, 8, oh, that I might have my request that God would grant me the thing that I long for, that I expect, that I wait for. I'm holding on. In fact, listen to this. That word's used again in Joshua 2, 21. It's where Rahab that let the servants down over the wall, they told her that God was going to spare her household whenever the walls of Jericho, you know, her house was on the wall, when the walls of Jericho fell and they came in and conquered Jericho, said, because of your kindness, the Lord is going to spare your house if you'll do this one thing. If you'll put a scarlet cord, same word, hickory, same word for hope, same word for expectation. If you'll put a scarlet cord in the window, that's the blood of Jesus. My hope is built in nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. I'm holding on to the rope. I'm holding on to the blood. There was a young couple that decided to go for a sail around the English Channel a few years ago. And they were not experienced sailors, but the, the man had been out on lakes and that kind of stuff in a sailboat, and he, he thought he could handle it. But they got out on the English Channel, and the wind got a little too heavy for them. And the next thing you know, he had not handled the sails just right. And uh, one of the masts had, had broken on the ship, and they, they got lost. And then darkness started settling in. And worst of all, that famous London fog, like pea soup, began to roll in. They couldn't see their hand in front of their face. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, they heard, it was the tugboat. And they looked up, and the tugboat shined a light down and saw them. And the captain of the tugboat threw him a rope and said, if you'll tie that off and hold on, I'll bring you safely to short shore. And so they tied it off in the boat, and here the tugboat started going ahead of them, and they started feeling that tug, and they were going behind, but they could look through the fog. They couldn't see the tugboat. They couldn't see the stars. They couldn't see the sky. They couldn't see land. They couldn't see anything, but they knew it was all right because ever so often that man would reach out and put his hand on that rope and as long as he knew there was a tug on the end of the rope, he knew it was all right. I'm going to tell you, sometimes through the fog of life, I cannot see the Lord. I can't see which way he's going. I can't see what he's doing. But I can put my hand out and feel the tug on the end of my rope. And I know that he's drawing me to safety because he holds the rope. Give the Lord a hand clap of praise. Amen and amen.
Now, you know, sometimes a rope binding something is not a bad thing because there's God's love that binds us together. In fact, it's interesting isn't it, that they talk about marriage as tying the knot. In fact, marriage is tying the knot. It's not tightening the noose, right? It's tying the knot. I counseled with a young couple just this week in premarital counseling, and we were talking about financial things and that kind of stuff, and I said, I think that what you have to do is you have to uh, make marriage and your, your marriage to each other so complicated to get out of that you won't leave it. You want to get just as tied up with each other as you can after you get married. So I, and I'm not trying to offend you if this is what you do, but I don't like this idea of my, my money, her money, right? Of, of she's got hers and she's got mine too. I mean, I, you know, a marriage is about sharing. It's, and you're supposed to get tied up with each other. Ecclesiastes 4.12 says a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Crystal's so much better at, at braiding Katie's hair than I am. And she's a lot, and we're both better than Katie is at doing it. But give her a break. She's only 32 years old. She'll learn it. <laughs> but I, I do know this. You can't braid hair with two strands. You put a, put a rubber band on the end of it, it's still going to unfold. It takes three strands. I'm going to tell you, in your marriage, if you want your marriage to last, it has to be him, her, and the Lord. That's what makes it strong. But, you know, even in the church, we're bound together. Colossians 2.2, 2, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. It's a pretty good thing to be tied up with the people of God. I've got a, a pastor friend one of our, maybe our largest church in South Georgia now, it's grown. Pastor's been there about 28 years. Done a fantastic job down in Kingsland, Georgia. His name is Mike Sings. But Mike's got an interesting side job. The church runs about 600 now, but he's still got an interesting side job. He is a tandem skydiver instructor. Which means not only does he instruct, but when you jump, he jumps with you. You're hooked up to the experienced skydiver. Now we were talking one day, Cameron wants to do it. But I talked to him about it and I said, is there a weight limit? He said, yeah, 240 pounds. I said, that's another reason for me to never lose weight right there. But I guarantee you, if I lost a little bit of weight and decided to do it, when we went out of that plane, I would say, blessed be the ties that bind. I'd want the rope to hold. And there's a lot of people feel that way, but I'm going to tell you something. You and I need each other. I'm not looking for a reason to cut ties with you. I'm not looking for a reason to loosen the bonds. I want to be knit together in the love of God. Colossians 3, 12 through 14 says, Put on then as God's chosen with a holy and beloved, compassionate heart, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Back in the 1700s, there was a 
pastor by the name of John Foster. And uh, he was sent, he actually got saved under the ministry of, of the uh, great evangelist George Whitfield. He was, there was, this was open air and there was no, you know, magnification of the voice at all. George Whitfield was preaching to 20,000 people in an open field and one of them was John Foster. He got saved and called to preach. And he went over to England to a little place called Wayne's Gate. It's described this way. The people were all farmers and shepherds, poor as Job's turkeys. An uncouth, an uncouth lot whose speech one could hardly understand, unable to read or write. Most of them pagans, cursed with vice and ignorance and wild tempers. The established church had never touched them. Only the humble Baptist had sent an ignorant preacher there, and he had made a good beginning. But John and Mary Fawcett went there in 1765 to live. And by going house to house and engaging with the people, they began to build a congregation. As his family began to grow, the modest salary they provided him was not nearly enough. And after years of laboring there, they got called to a church that had a little bit more prestige, a little bit more money, a little bit better situation for he and his family and they decided to take it according to the story when they announced that they were leaving and he preached his farewell sermon and they packed up all of their furniture and all of his books on the wagon and began to leave the people started crying and weeping and begging him not to leave as they were leaving with the people wailing and crying behind them Mary said to John John I don't know how I can leave you and John said oh Mary God help me neither do I and they turned the wagon around and said we've changed our minds and the people rejoiced and shouted and John Fawcett wrote this hymn perhaps based on that occasion blessed be ties that bind our hearts through Christian blood. God's love will draw us close together, close to each other. In 1792 in another part of England there was a man by the name of William Carey and he had about three friends that they got together and they were so moved about being missionaries and reaching the lost. And it was hard in England at that time because the prevalent thought among most church people was if God wants to save the lost, he'll do it without any help from us. But William Carey, who's the modern, the father of modern missions, literally wrote the book on missions. His book convinced people of the need of going for God. He is the one in, in his book that came up with this famous quote, Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. And he and his friends joined together and started a missionary society that exists to this day. And here's what Kerry said to him before he left for India. He said, I will go down if you 
will hold the world. God is looking for rope holders. I don't want to take too much time, but I think it's important that you watch this about five-minute clip, and then we'll come back and give our altar call. Watch this. supposed to be riding with rescue that day he was just filling in the 12th floor of the building was ablaze it was a recording studio and it was going up fast two employees were trapped in windows on two different sides of the building we saw the two men hanging out the uh, 12th floor window one was on one side of the street and the other was on the other uh, we knew it was a real dangerous sort of imminent situation that at this point the two patties ran up and uh pat pat Barr, who was assigned the roof position and who was who was going to be the, the guy to make the rescue immediately started putting on on the life belt and, and rope uh patty o'keefe held my legs and i leaned out a little farther to try to hold this guy in because he was really really in danger so you're talking to him saying don't do anything scream scream at him yeah right. he looked up at me so he knew he was there the situation was so so close and so imminent Patty get up on here just to hang his leg over so the guy could see some, some help was coming. Now at this point there was a there was quite a this is a real dangerous operation in of itself. Normally a rope is tied to a substantial object on a roof like a chimney. But this time there was nothing to tie on to. For Lieutenant Brown, it was time to make a life or death decision. And we had about you know 20 seconds to either do it or not do it. The fire was raging. The victim was clearly in trouble. So Barr went over the ledge with only Kevin Shea and Pat O'Keefe holding the rope. Patty O'Keefe came. I had to put my feet up against the parapet wall. Patty O'Keefe came to help hold me down because we had no substantial object. And as uh, we were starting to lower him, when he went over the roof, initially there was a pull. I was pulled up, and Patty was able to push me back down to the ground. Uh, we fed out some more line. Started trying to talk to him, and uh, with that, he didn't speak such good English, and he was so panicked and so, uh, you know, uh, ready to go, he just jumped on me. What in essence happened was strain picked both of these guys up, up yeah, like way this. up like this, and sort of was starting to pinion them off the roof. And another firefighter, Bruce Newberry, came by and pushed, held them back down, right now, and pushed them back down because normally we, we, he would have been separately tied off, but as you can see, there's no way to tie this guy. That was the big danger, in the, the, the more inherent danger involved in an already dangerous situation. Barr now had the victim, but just barely. The men on the roof couldn't pull them back up, and the rope wasn't long enough to reach the ground. So they lowered them to the next floor. And while the other victim waited, Barr dangled 13 floors above the ground desperately trying to get the attention of the firefighters inside. I'm holding it with two hands. I spun around once to punch the window and I broke one pane. I spun around again, I broke the other pane. When I broke the second pane, the firemen uh, about 50 feet away seen me. They seen me out there and they ran. They got a hook and they pulled, my, pulled me in.
don't want a brave fireman to go over the side of that building and go down to rescue that man. But he didn't do it alone. Somebody had to hold the rope. God is calling you and I to be rope holders. I want you to stand, and we're going to close this out a little bit differently today. I'm going to ask you to commit by the grace of God. Now, let me tell you, I, the other day, um, I was called out kind of rather late at, at night, and I did a favor for someone. And I asked them to return the favor by coming and being in service with us. And they said, well, I don't want to make no promises to you. I, I've noticed there's an epi epidemic not only in the world, but in the church of people saying, well, I don't want to make no commitments. I don't want to make no promises. I don't want you to have to count on me. I'll be there. I'll do it. You know, if, if it all works out just right, but I don't want to make no promises. Well, my word. People didn't make a commitment to you. Hey, that's kind of a problem in the world, isn't it? People get married and they say, well, if it goes all right, but don't count on me. People take oaths, oaths of office and say, well, I'll try, but don't, don't count on me. I'm human after all. People join churches say, well, I know, I know I said I'd support with my time and my talents 